Welcome, everybody, to the Kona Shame Veterinary Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Andy Work. Guys, I got a great one today with my friend, Dr. Lance Rosa. Lance is a veterinarian and a lawyer. He's my go-to for contract questions, for legal questions. And we are talking today about the soaring salaries that we see in veterinarians, and especially in new graduate veterinarians. Are people really getting $100,000 signing bonus? What does that even mean? Let's get into this episode. This is your show. We're glad you're here. We want to help you in your veterinary career. Welcome to the Cone of Shame with Dr. Andy Rourke. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Lance Rosa. Thanks for being here. Good to see you as always. Man, it's uh, it's great to have you back. So you are, for people who haven't heard you on the podcast before, because you've been on a number of times, you're, you're, you're my go-to when I have some legal contract questions to ask about. You are uh, your consultant on the VIN boards under regulatory and legal. Uh, you're the founder or co-founder of drip.vet, which is an educational platform that is also part of the uh, uh, the VIN family. Um, you uh, have been a practice owner. I think you still you still own an emergency practice. Uh, you do, uh, you're now, now a ranch owner as well. Uh, and that we've been talking about, but um, you do you do a lot of things. I wanted to talk to you about um, about some of the most exciting uh, gossip that I hear through the grapevine. A lot of the people that when I go to meetings are talking about, God, can you believe what the what the veterinarians are getting paid, or what uh, new contracts are, or especially what new graduates are getting paid out of vet school? And I wanted to uh, bring you on and talk a little bit about. Uh, what doctors are getting paid? That's correct. So uh, I have the uh, unique opportunity to, you know, work with thousands of veterinary students a year and see, you know, four or five hundred of their starting veterinary, you know, contracts, and so get a really good feel of what's going on out there in the industry and what's going on uh, across the board across the nation. And I don't think anyone could have predicted this type of increase in salaries, increase in signing bonuses, or anything like that. Um, if we look back you know, five, six, seven years, as long as I've been doing this. Yeah. So let's, well, let's go ahead and start looking at, so first of all, I just want to sort of point out, generally when you start talking about doctor salaries as a trend, new graduates are the easiest way to look at that, correct? It is. It really is. That new graduates, you know, folks starting, just starting practice are really the only really good solid data points that we have because it comes out of that senior survey um, that that all of us took or all of us will take, you know, in the spring semester of our fourth year. Um, that's reported to the AVMA and we get a good idea of what starting salaries are. They also ask questions, you know, such as signing bonuses, amounts of signing bonuses, you know, things along those lines. And so it gives us a good opportunity to really compare apples to apples. Um, and also too, you know, obviously everyone's starting out of veterinary school. Um, we can exclude internships and really get to kind of the same level of experience. Now, there is some data that's out there in the real world among practicing veterinarians. Um, it's Department of Labor, Bureau of Labor Statistics data, um, but it's really, it, it lumps all veterinarians in together, USDA veterinarians, specialists, um, you know, private practitioners, those working part-time. Um, so really, if we start to look at that data, we get into an apples versus oranges situation where we can't make good educated decisions. Yeah, talk to me a little bit about the trends we're seeing in new graduate salaries. So up, up, up is the takeaway. 
Yeah, I, I expect this year. And so uh, when we see the data on the class of 2021 and then obviously the class of 2022 is signing right now, I, I really expect class of 2021. If we look, if we exclude folks doing externships, I'm sorry, internships, uh, if we exclude folks doing internships, if we um, if we look at those going into predominantly companion animal practice, I expect that average that mean to be over one hundred thousand um, dollars in twenty twenty one for the first time. So this would be the first time that the that the average starting salary for a vet is over is six figures. That is correct. All right. Now the the other piece of of the compensation package that people are saying, and it's kind of what's getting thrown around a lot for me, is is the term signing bonus. People will say, "Well, you how can you compete with these signing bonuses?" And I heard a twenty five thousand dollars signing bonus, or these uh, I you know you hear stories of, of of new grads coming out and they're making six figure salary and they're getting uh, significant signing bonuses up to a hundred thousand dollars. I've heard I've heard a hundred thousand dollars signing bonus. Can you unpack what that looks like from from a legal standpoint? Is this really uh, just making it rain or are there strings on this money? Well, first, I'll tell you at this point, I almost expect a new graduate and, and most individuals switching jobs to receive some sort of signing bonus at this point. So um, whether you're an experienced veterinarian or a new graduate, I would expect a signing bonus at some point in your, you know, in your compensation package. I believe the the AVMA data, you know, for the class of 2020 was something like 60 something percent of all new graduates received a signing bonus. And on average, that signing bonus was somewhere between eight and nine thousand, eight and ten thousand dollars. And so these are significant sums of money, even if you look at the averages. But in the last two years, you know, since that that data came out, so class of 2021, class of 2022, and then all the you know hundreds of other employment uh, contracts and in in, uh, in in compensation structures that we get to see. It is not uncommon for us to see twenty five, thirty, thirty five thousand um, dollars, and you know, onward and upward from there. Um, yes, I have seen several, as in more than a few hundred thousand dollars signing bonuses um, in in pretty extreme situations. But also, too, even even when we get to those very high signing bonuses, a hundred thousand dollars or so, yeah. most of the time these are individuals that are day practice, not emergency, not internship trained, not residency trained. So. You know, these are pretty much, you know, right down the middle, you know, practitioners. If you start looking into the emergency realm, so those, you know, practicing overnight emergency, um, if you start looking at, you know, specialty training or even, you know, non-board non -board certified training, whether it be in dentistry or something like that, it's not uncommon to see, you know, deep into, you know, uh, deep into the tens of thousands, 50, 60, $100,000. So, oh, okay. So you said uh, in in the circumstances where we see you know a hundred thousand dollars signing bonus, you you said those are sort of extreme circumstances. What what are the things that that you say make make that extreme? Is that just extreme as far as the compensation package, or are there circumstances around that where you're saying in these circumstances that's when we're seeing this additional revenue being paid to these doctors or things like that? Well, number one, you know, so yes, there are there are there are outliers, there are extreme circumstances. You know, they're definitely you know far far from the means and averages. Um, so there's a couple of things that we have to take a step back and you know kind of unpack. So often we'll refer to all these. You know, you and I are chatting. Uh, we'll refer to these as signing bonuses. But when you really get down into the legal details, they're actually retention bonuses, meaning that if that veterinarian doesn't promise a certain amount of time of employment, they've got to repay that bonus. Um, and so, you know, it, it's really not just a no strings attached. Here's 50,000 or here's $100,000. It is their strings attached. If you don't work for us for a specified amount of time, 
then we're going to come back and get that money. Um, generally, that time frame is somewhere between two and three years. Several years ago, three, four, five years ago, we could get these down to a one-year retention yeah. bonus or one year. But at this point, it's really, if you're looking at, you're in those, you know, 35,000 or greater, it's going to be, you know, two to three years of, of commitment, of promise. Um, so that's that's one big thing. The second yeah. thing is, is when we get to these big signing bonuses, and let's just call them, you know, 30,000, $35,000 and greater, almost every time that's a private equity owned corporate practice. And so it's, it's rare. You said it earlier. How can we compete? Well, that's the voice of the private practice owner. How can we compete with the, you know, with a signing bonus like that? Very few private practice owners are going to throw down, you know, uh, greater than twenty five, thirty thousand dollars in a signing bonus or a retention bonus, whatever we choose to call it. So, another quote unquote string that's attached is you're you're going to be working for corporate um, uh, to get to those high high levels of of signing bonuses or retention bonuses. Yeah. So, are you saying? Because I'm going to I'm going to put a pin in that for a second and come back to to where the money comes from. But are you seeing adjustments made in how the practices either work, how they're handling cases or how they're interfacing with the doctors to, yeah, I guess, I don't want to say to make the salaries worth it. But yeah, I guess that's what I'm sort of wondering is as these salaries go up, um, are practices making changes that facilitate the rising salaries? Are you seeing price increases? Are you seeing changes in workflow? Or is it just, nope, we're gonna, we're just finding this money? Well, definitely, when we're talking about corporate practice, when a corporate practice takes over practice, when they buy or acquire practice, I'll just go ahead and say it, prices go up every single time. Um, And so, you know, prices go up. um, And, and that definitely drops more money to bottom line that does allow more money for veterinary salaries, which can be argued, that's a good thing. It's yeah. a bad thing for consumers, but it's it can be argued that's a good thing for veterinarians and veterinary, you know, staff members. Of course, some of that money ends up into uh, the, the coffers of the corporation. That's their point um, is to be profitable. Now, um, you know, when we start looking at, you know, uh, uh, you know, overall management changes, definitely, definitely I see a rise and, and I deal with veterinarians getting into contracts, but also over on, on the, over on the VIN boards, you know, we work with veterinarians getting out of, you know, contracts, those of those that are unhappy and having, you know, issues with, with mental health. I, I have several of these on a monthly basis where a veterinarian is just completely overwhelmed. And a lot of these are first year veterinarians. And so as far as the scheduling demands of that practice that have to keep up with that salary and that signing bonus, they're going to uh, they're going to schedule more cases for you and have much less sympathy, you know, when you say I can't take it or I can't handle it. So, you know, big issues there. Here's another good point, though, Dr. Rourke. And so and this is something that I do bring up to every new graduate um, or even those that are you know recent graduates. And they think of, of mentorship as a one one sided street where the practice gives it to that that new graduate or that mm-hmm. recent graduate. Um, and they're they're dealt to they're they're then deal with it how they want to. But in reality, think of mentorship as a two-way street where that practice invests in that new graduate, that new, that new associate, that new associate becomes more productive. Hopefully, if, mm-hmm. if the mentorship pays off, the practice makes more money, the new graduate, the new associate makes more money as well. So it's an, think of mentorship in that associate as an investment. And I definitely see that. So almost every corporate at this point has a very um, uh, uh, structured mentorship plan. And it's not all altruistic. It's because if that veterinarian can get up to production levels higher, 
the corporate's going to make more money. Um, we even have a, uh, 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 Ben has several options. We have this thing called Doctor Finishing Academy, which we actually work with quite a few corporates um, uh, to, to put a veterinarian through a mentorship program. And ultimately, that, that yields to greater returns for them. So, so that's why the corporates want to do that mentorship. It's a good thing for the associate as well. So yeah. uh, to answer your question, they do put some money into mentorship. Yeah. The, um, it's funny, you know, one of the number one things that I hear young graduates asking for is mentorship. Like that, I think that that, you know, there's definitely benefits to, to practices to have a mentorship program because you're, you're essentially supporting a doctor to try to make them successful, which is good for them and it's good for your practice. So it's definitely mutually beneficial, but it is, it is funny. Yes. Um, when you talk to young doctors, that is, and you say, well, what are you looking for? the first thing they usually say is, well, mentorship. And it's always interesting to figure out how people define that because people say this big, broad, fuzzy, warm word. I'm like, what does that mean to you? It's, it's very much a, a catchphrase, a buzz phrase. And, you know, I teach that as well. We've got to define mentorship before we start using it and throwing it around. Um, however, uh, you know, definitely uh, when I work, so I, you know, teach negotiation to thousands and thousands of veterinary students every year. And we teach this interest-based negotiation where you write down your interest and, and, and then negotiate for that. Obviously, if you, if you don't know what you want, how can you actually ask for it? Yeah. I mean, thousands, if not tens of thousands at this point, I can think of two or three new graduates that did not list mentorship as their number one interest. Um, so the take home point to those of us that are, you know, that are hiring or uh, practice owners, practice managers. If you're trying to compete with these big, huge signing bonuses, lead with mentorship. That should be the number one thing in your ad. That should be the number one thing that you're talking about. And that should be the number one thing that you work to define with that new graduate, because that will often speak to them more than compensation, signing bonuses, dollars. Yeah, no, I, I, I completely agree with that. I think, I think mentorship and culture are the two things that the little practices can absolutely use. And uh, if, if graduates are smart, they'll recognize that. Everybody wants to work in a place that you're going to enjoy working, where you work with happy people. And, every, and, and everybody wants, uh, they, they want to get grown and mentored. And so, yeah, defining terms, especially if you're, if you're a small guy, uh, you know, the point I was trying to make to those practices, you don't need a program or not, not a massive program because you won't compete with that. If it comes down to look at this mentorship textbook that we have written by the top industry consultants, well, you're not going to have that if you're a small time practice, but that's not, think about the mentorship you've gotten in your life that's really made a difference. That's not what it looked like, right? Exactly right. So, I mean, it's really that hands-on approach and that flexible approach if you want to compete with the, the big dollars and big cents. But let, that brings up a really good point. Let's circle back. So, a practice that is offering, let's say, fifty, seventy, a hundred thousand dollars signing bonus, that should kind of back to the strings. What strings are attached? That should throw some red flags. There's there's a reason why they're offering that kind of money. There's a deficiency somewhere, whether it be in mentorship, whether it be in the team of the practice, whether it be the culture. They're having a hard time filling that position. Um, so it, before you take that job that has that fifty, seventy, a hundred thousand dollars signing bonus. Um, you know, back to the, hey, let's check it out. Let's what strings are attached. I would spend an incredible amount of time with the actual people in the practice, in the practice itself to make sure that it's going to be a remotely reasonable, decent culture, a remotely decent uh, uh, mentorship experience, because there's a reason why they're offering that kind of money if, if otherwise. Yeah, that 
that actually that that feels good for my soul. Just just in that I'm one of those people who like I like to believe that things kind of work out, and uh, if it looks too good to be true, it probably is. And so that that just it. it I'm not saying that there's a, a problem with signing bonuses or anything like that, but it makes sense that there is a flip side to the to the you know to the cash is yeah you you were giving up some freedom and some flexibility and you have to sort of balance those things and yeah, yeah that that makes sense to I don't know from sort of a, almost like a balancing the scales perspective to me it is it's it's definitely uh, pros and cons and I would you know I would get an actual physical piece of paper and write down the pros and the cons um, and really understand you know the situation that you're getting in yourself into however there are veterinarians, there are recent graduates, there are new graduates that are able and willing to step into that situation. And, and in that case, if, if they say, hey, I can get by with some limited mentorship or I can, I don't mind working these hours or working in this, this job or this town, and I'll take that extra $100,000 and put it in my pocket, more power to them. Just make sure that you're that person and you're the right person before signing on to that. Yeah, and that totally makes sense. And I see that a lot, right? You'll have a small time, uh, a small town, uh, a small town with with a practice in it. And unless you've got family in that town or you have a reason to be there, you wouldn't be there. And so you have people who are desperate to have a vet and they're like, please come and please stay here. And man, if that's where you grew up and you're happy to come back, take that, you know, take that money, do that, do that deal. Uh, but, mm-hmm. but to your point, you know, make, make sure that it's, that you know what you're getting going in there. So yeah, I, I don't, I don't think it's always bad. There's definitely win-win uh, scenarios in this too. So uh, mm-hmm. that, that all, that all works for me. Hey everybody, I just want to jump in real quick with a couple of updates. Gang, before I do though, I got to get a shout out and got to get some love to Banfield the Pet Hospital. Guys, they have stepped up and supported us in getting transcripts for both this podcast and the Kona Shame Veterinary Podcast, which is the other podcast that I host. They do it uh, to increase accessibility and inclusion in our profession. That is a, uh, that is a big, uh, point for them right now is, is something that they are doing for our whole profession and industry. And they stepped up and put their money where their mouth was and said, how can we help you? And I said, hey, this is the thing that people have asked for. And uh, it's, a, it's a big lift for us. And 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 Benfield said, we got you, buddy. And they have made this happen. So if you want transcripts for our podcast, we got them. Head over to unchartedvet.com. You can see all of our podcasts and you can see transcripts for those there. Feel free to share them. Help us get the word out. But I just got to give some love to Benfield because they didn't have to do that. But but they did, and it is awesome. So thanks to them. On June the 8th, my friend Bill Schroeder, a veterinary marketing specialist, CEO of InTouch Veterinary Marketing, uh, he is going to be doing his lectures. It's not a lecture, it's a workshop called Creating Content That Clients Crave. This is all about you spending your time smartly to make resources that educate clients, that answer questions, that protect your reputation, that do all of the things that you wish you had content for, but you just don't have all the time in the world to make. Most of us are spending too much time doing things like posting stupid social media stuff. Guys, it's time to get a strategy. It's time to get smart about how we communicate digitally. Bill Schroeder is the guy to do that. It is $99 to the public. It is free for Uncharted members. Let's get back into this episode. Can you talk a little bit about uh, about wage compression? Do you see a fallout or pushback from more experienced vets when you've got uh, you have you have new graduate and and less experienced doctor salaries going up? You can't tell me that everybody else's salary is going up 
to, you know, to, to keep any sort of scale uh, or, or symmetry inside practices. Do you, do you see pushback against that? Absolutely. And so, you know, uh, when a, when a, and I, my, my record right now is a veterinarian that hasn't renegotiated her salary in seven years. And so she was living off of first year starting salaries. Um, Holy you know, crap. From, from seven, seven years, years ago. For seven years? No, no changes in her negotiation or no changes in her salary. She didn't renegotiate her salary. Um, and so she's, she's making like 70, you know, the average new grad and the new grads joining the practice are making 110. Um, that's a very awkward conversation <laughs> to put it lightly, oh, um, you know, that the practice manager, practice owner has to have, uh, with that veterinarian. So, you know, for those of you that are practicing for, for a long time that have, that have, haven't renegotiated your salary, now's the time to really revisit these things and ask these questions. Do not expect management or the ownership to come to you and say, Hey, we're going to give you the same deal that we're, we're giving everyone else. Um, and so, uh, you know, it's a, it is a, it, it's a, big problem. It's definitely a, a, a something that's swept under the rug uh, quite a bit. So it, it's really, it behooves everyone to stay up on what are new graduates earning, what's happening in the labor force, what is my potential out there in the market, um, you know, to make sure that you're being paid appropriately. And, and that that is really, I do a lot of things, but one of my favorite things to do is to make sure that veterinarians are compensated appropriately for, you know, for their services. Um, and it's one of the things that makes me feel best about what I do. Uh, and we've had this discussion multiple times on the VIN boards where, you know, when somebody does find out and they will eventually, um, it's it becomes an awkward situation, you know, with everyone involved. Well, especially for something like that, the example that you gave, you know, you've been there seven years and, you, and nothing has changed. And, you know, other people coming in are making $40,000 more than you. Like, I, I don't even know if you, can, if you can have that conversation. Like, that seems like such yeah. a violation in trust. To me, you know, it's one thing to say, oh, you know, we, Andy, we hired you uh, two years ago and we've been doing cost of living increases and we're severely shorthanded. And so we, we dipped in and we made this investment in it in just to get someone in. And yes, what they make relative to what you make is probably not fair right now. Believe that we're going to try to correct that you know, in the, in the near future, or we're going to work on trying to get that back in line, but it might take some time that, you know, that's one thing versus uh, we, we're going to have this massive difference and, you know, and not say anything about it. I, I think that's hard to stomach. And hope nobody finds out. So there's really a couple of things to unpack, you know, out of this conversation. One is, is it really, it really highlights the move of most veterinarians to a production-based compensation at this point. Um, and so the, the days of straight salary are, are coming to an end. Um, and so the, the, in the defense of the practice or the defense of the associate is, is what's the production levels of that associate and are they truly earning their salary? Um, for those new graduates that may not be able to keep up with you know, uh, you know, truly earning or being able to produce that hundred and ten, hundred and twenty thousand dollars. Eventually, we've all got to pay the piper. Um, you know, that those salaries will be adjusted downward based on their compens or you know, based on their production. Um, you know, but so having said all that, you know, we are all all of us that are in private practice. You know, are paid on production at some level. It's just whether or not that production catches up with you this week, this quarter, or it catches up with you. You know, several years down the road, if you are you know underproducing, but at this point, I would say a solid 75% of all contracts uh, that we see are, are have some sort of production component. The second thing to unpack about that is this, this notion of signing a retention bonuses. And so it's easier to have a 
signing bonus be kept quiet and kept secret versus, you know, payroll that happens, you know, every two weeks. And so that practice can and that corporate can pay that associate that's joining that signing bonus to attract them or entice them to sign and then get them on a normal pay scale, you know, just like all the other associates. And so when I'm working from, you know, from that person that's receiving that sign-in bonus, you know, I make it very, very clear that we need to keep this confidential so we don't have that hurdle in negotiation. They say, well, what happens if everyone else finds out? Well, I'm not going to tell them if you're not going to tell them. This is confidential between me and you, employer, employee. You know, I'm not going to spread this around the doctor's office. Um, you know, but it, in, in reality, you know, we need to be, I'm going to make a plea for the entire profession to be more transparent on all of our pays at this point to help eliminate, you know, bias, you know, like the gender gap, um, you know, racial uh, uh, disparities, um, which are very real in this profession. So, you know, I, I know I just talked about being, you know, secretive, but in reality, we need to be more transparent across the board. Yeah, that that definitely makes sense. Where do you see uh, where do you see these doctor salaries in five years? I mean, not not a number wise necessarily, but do you do you have reason to believe that upward uh, trajectory like this is going to increase? Are are we going to uh, are we going to have to pay the piper? I th- I think I. I I look at this in a couple of different contexts, right? So I, I want doctors to make more money and especially given their student debt and I want our support staff to make more money. That's a big thing for me is, is to get our, our techs and, and our front desk people up to living wages. And, and, and I really want to make that happen. And at the same time, paradoxically, I do want to keep the cost of medicine down. I want to make it affordable and accessible to pet owners. And I think a lot of us really want that. And we don't want... Um, we don't want to price people out of pet ownership or just routinely have to talk to people about, I'm sorry, you can't afford the care that your pet needs. And so I, I look at those things and go from a, from a straight dollars and cents standpoint, I don't know how these things balance unless cost of medicine keeps going up to pet owners. So can, can you, can you look in your crystal ball and tell me how this sorts out in the next five, 10 years? Well, Andy, I've got a few degrees, um, but one of them is not a degree in uh, economics. <laughs> so, so uh, the, you know, that when we're, when we're projecting these things outward, um, you know, there's a real opportunity to be very, very wrong, just like none of us predicted this, you know, shortage sure. of veterinarians. Um, you know, but let's take a step back and look at the greater structure of the profession right now. And we've really got to look at, you know, the greater structure of what's going, what's happening with, you know, the private equity influx, you know, into this profession. And in those private equity firms, particularly those smaller group practices, so let's say, you know, 12 to 100 practices, their goal really is to flip those practices. And so they bundle these practices together and flip them. To be able to do that, they have to have an adequate veterinary staff. Um, And so I think it does go back to what we talked about earlier, where they're willing to pay those signing bonuses to get it over with and get it done in year one, get that associate hired. Hopefully they can retain that associate and then then get them back to more reasonable pay uh, uh, structure. So when they do go to flip that practice, um, you know, they they have a, a, a more moderate EBITDA. They can show more profitability um, to the buyer. Now, all that is going to have to come to a crashing stop at, at some point. I mean, you, you said it, that we've got to pay the piper, you know, and what they're paying for these practices and what they're paying in signing bonuses is, is you know, frankly, not sustainable. It's not sustainable for the profitability of the practice. And so, um, you know, the only way to really to really do that is to is to see a, a plateau of these salaries. So my personal hope is 
salaries have shot up, which they have since, you know, the recession of, you know, 2008, 2009, they've got more in line with, with debt to income ratios. And they've got more in line with, you know, the training and the, in the work that veterinarians put in more comparable with other, uh, learned professions as they call them. Um, uh, so that they did showed, shoot up, which is awesome. But I think at some point they're going to have to plateau off just for the sheer economics of the practice, you know, the profitability in and out. If you look at it from a greater, you know, structure uh, perspective, you know, this buying frenzy among corporate practices is probably going to moderate at some point in the next five years. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's 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 what we're kind of talking about now. Uh, when that starts to moderate, then then there's actual real dollars that have to pay you know, for all of this. Um, my fear, you know, that was my hope, right? That it, we that we shoot up and then we, you know, plateau off. You know, my fear is veterinarians constantly receive, uh, you know, more and more squeeze. And when I say veterinarians, I also mean technicians and, uh, you know, and, uh, and, and all uh, team members in the practice, which, hey, we need you to do more with less. We need you to work more hours with less, mm-hmm. you know, because again, the, the goal of, you know, corporately owned practice, the number one goal is to return shareholder profits. And so, um, you know, instead of being, I hate to say this, but more like people, it's more like, hey, we've got to control labor costs. We've got to do, we got to have them do more with less. Um, so that's my fear with, you know, seeing more and more practices go corporate, um, you know, overall. Now, there is another, uh, there may be some silver lining in this, uh, Dr. Rourke. Um, and so, you know, let's let's just go ahead and say it, that corporations are good at business yeah. um, and they're good at what they do. Um, and, and let's just go ahead and say it, that a lot of private practice owners for years and years were not good at those things. And so there are some structural um, efficiency and inefficiency issues in a lot of practices. Um, there's a there's a there is a lot of structural inefficiency with having, you know, all small practices doing payroll and all this stuff. And so there may be, hopefully, there may be some savings where practices become more efficient. Practices are able to drop these dollars to bottom line, like we're talking about, without putting a squeeze, you know, on on the team members. But that's a big maybe. That's a big if. I hope I hope that does come true. Yeah. No. I I think there's I think there's been some good uh, for sure out of the out of corporates coming into the into the profession. One of the one of the big ones for me is like work life balance stuff. Uh, you know, it's it's a lot of the expectations of your mom and pop vet clinic and don't get me wrong i love mom but vet clinics um but in, in my experience a lot of the corporate places uh they tend to do things like honor honor mandatory lunch times and things like that that, that maybe yeah. weren't getting done in the past in vet medicine yeah yeah there's i mean there's there's definitely some you know some pros and cons and and, and at the end of the day we in the profession you know need to stand up for the things that we want in the in and, and and push back against whether it's, you know, private practice owners, or if we're talking from a, you know, a, uh, associate's perspective, uh, private practice owners and or corporate management and ownership for the things that we need and want the things that are important to us. Yeah. I, I'm, you know, me, I'm a perpetual optimist. Uh, I, you know, I think, uh, I think and hope that, uh, purpose-driven practices, will come out ahead. You know, I think that's where people, people who believe that the practice is there for what they say they're there for, um, and people who, who have, uh, people who want to work for someone who has got, uh, you know, values and, uh, and, a, and a mission, and they live the values and the mission. I, I like to think that those guys are going to come out ahead in the long term. Uh, I agree with you wholeheartedly. And, and, uh, you know, comes from my, uh, my good friend, 
uh, Rick DeBose up at Washington State. So Rick always says culture eats strategy for breakfast. And so that's what you're describing. People are going to work for practices that have good culture, good leadership, good management, um, you know, over, uh, you know, just the dollars and cents. That's awesome, man. Thanks a lot for being here, Lance. Where can people learn more about DripVet? Where can they uh, learn more if they have questions? Yeah, drip.vet. We have all the all the fun stuff over there, um, uh, the negotiation courses and all that good stuff. And then I'm hanging out on the VIN boards um, every day um, at this point. So uh, you can post, you know, for those of you that are VIN membership, VIN members, and keep in mind, you can always uh, wrap that into your employment contract. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so uh, if you're a VIN member, uh, we answer these questions. And it's one of the only places on VIN that you can post anonymously. So you don't have to put it out there to the world, you know, the, hey, you're at this practice or that practice. And so, uh, uh, you know, we, we answer these questions in an anonymous fashion, um, you know, on the VIN board. We answer questions about contracts, about the negotiation, um, you know, about what it, what is my, you know, worth to the practice uh, regularly. So, yep, that's the that's the best place to find me, drip.vet over at VIN. Awesome. Thanks, buddy. Good to see you, as always. And that is our episode. That's what we got for you guys. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you got something out of it. As always, if you did, uh, hit that like or subscribe button. If you're watching on YouTube, that's right. We're on YouTube now. Or leave me an honest review wherever you get your podcasts. Guys, that's how people find the show. It means the world to me. Guys, take care of yourselves. Be well. Talk to you soon.